I'm Bill Lawrence, and this is my Big Bag of Onions. The cough made to California, broken hearts and bars unknown. And through this night we'll share a lover On that dark radio How the soul may be so lonely Hands pressed cold against the phone See all the stars
to my big bag of onions. Vodka and lime. High up in atmosphere. Vertigo intact inside vodka and lime. Life jacket stashed under front seat. Checked foot underneath me spins planet Earth. Oil rigs, tankers, pleasure craft. The accident in 1995, which is why I have a crooked smile. Thin strip of coast, estuaries. See those Lego-licious houses. If I had a big house, big enough to fit, I'd have to leave because there'd be no room for me. I could easily fly like this a long, long time. But the captain won't tell, he won't tell, he won't tell, I yell, where my wings are. Yeah, with my Dairy Queen 
She had to cut me loose Now I'm looking at you Yeah Like lovers do Like lovers do I'm looking at you now Like lovers do And I'm looking right at you now Just like lovers do So I know that most people going to college or university are pretty concerned about what it's going to be like, so I want to make a guide to help you out. One of the first things you need to know is that they're pretty expensive, and you can't have the same attitude as you did in high school because if you fail something, you just have to take it again at your own expense. So before you go, you need to ask yourself the question, are you really there to drink and meet girls, or are you there to get a degree that will help direct your career for the rest of your life? And once you figure that out, then you can ask yourself, am I dedicated enough to commit my whole day to this for the next four plus years, or am I going to set some time aside to get my degree? Personally, I really decided to take everything one step at a time, and the first thing you have to do is register for courses. And you might have heard that the schoolwork is going to be a lot harder than high school, and I think most of us have had thoughts like, what if I'm just not smart enough for this? And the truth is, if you can navigate their website, you're smart enough. Now, you might be wondering what's the best program to take, and truth be told, there's not really a best program. The most important thing is choosing something that will help you find a sustainable job that you'll enjoy. Now, you might be thinking, wait a minute, how do I try to get the job I'll enjoy if I don't know what I'll enjoy because I've never had the job? And that's a good question that I'll avoid by suggesting you use the following rule of thumb. So when you're picking a program, imagine a slider that goes from fun to how much money you'll make. And that's the spectrum you're sort of dealing with. So one thing that most people are really excited about is making new friends, and don't worry, you'll get over that pretty quickly. But if you're talking to someone, one thing I think is really important is to avoid certain trigger phrases when you're talking to people from different departments. As an example, don't talk about the job market with fine arts students, don't talk to pre-med or med students about student loans or how long until they graduate, and never ever tell an engineering student you had a lot of homework last night, even if you're another engineering student.
It's one of those subjects which you think isn't puzzling and as soon as you start thinking about it philosophically, it becomes more and more puzzling until you almost can't understand how anybody could make sense of it. So quite a lot of philosophers think that forgiveness is essentially paradoxical, that it's essentially a religious notion, that we can't make sense of it at all. And I think there are two things that drive what makes forgiveness puzzling. So the one is to really take seriously that forgiveness is something distinct from excusing, justifying and accepting. Because I think quite often in interpersonal life, we aren't really distinguishing those. And what we take ourselves to be doing quite often when we think we're forgiving is actually excusing, justifying or accepting. But the reason that it's important that those are distinct is that those are all ways of coming to see that there isn't anything to forgive. So when you really come to see that it wasn't your fault, then of course I'm going to stop holding it against you, but it's because it wasn't your fault, there's nothing to forgive. And forgiveness essentially involves seeing it not as justified, not as excused and not as acceptable and still coming not to hold it against you. And, and that's puzzling. I think forgiveness essentially features in this, in this logic, in the space where blame makes sense. Listen, this is Bill's big bag of onions. Sir.
With your permission, I would like to address my men briefly. Better be fine, General. Commander, it was a long war. It was a hard war. Men, it's been a long war. It's been a tough war. You have tapfer and stolz for your fatherland gekämpft. We fought bravely, proudly for your country. You are a very special troop. You are a special group. Die ineinander einen Zusammenhalt gefunden hat. Found in one another a bond. Wie er sich nur im Kampf entwickeln kann. It exists only in combat. Unter Kameraden. Among brothers. Die Fuchshöhlen geteilt haben. Shared foxholes. Die sich in schrecklichen Momenten gegenseitig gestützt haben. Held each other in dire moments. Die den Tod zusammen gesehen haben und gemeinsam gelitten haben. We've seen death and suffered together. Bin stolz, mit euch gedient zu haben. I'm proud to have served with each and every one of you. Sie alle verdienen ein langes und glückliches Leben in Frieden. You deserve long and happy lives in peace. This has got nothing to do with onions. There is no bag, and I might not be Bill, but something's big. Let this pain fall from my eyes 
Let time heal my insides. The song is for the painter who lost both of her hands. And if I ever find my heart, darling, I promise to come home again. It's a cartoon we've all seen a million times. There's a fairly well-dressed man walking along, and he's aloof. And then he's upended, arms flailing, legs following into the air. Maybe he has those little motion lines underneath him, the ones that look like the curved side of a protractor, tracing where his feet were before they left the ground. You saw this coming, of course, because in the frame before, there's a banana peel lying in wait. The banana peel is so synonymous with slipping that we know how this joke ends right when it starts. We've seen it in cartoons just like this, in comedy pratfalls, on television. In 2016, the banana peel challenge went viral on social media, and it's exactly what it sounds like. People would take turns creating videos of themselves slipping and falling on banana peels. We even throw little pixelated peels at our Mario Kart opponents to try to veer them off course. Just the other day, I passed a sign on a newly mopped floor. It was just a plastic, inverted banana peel. No words, no writing. How did this happen? Did anyone ever really slip on a banana peel? And why a banana? Why not an orange or any fruit that's actually grown here in the U.S.? Cardboard crown Silver star upon a stick Turns childhood's trick. What we lose, like fading footage of a reel, amounts to what we're prepared to feel. And she wants to share her magic with me. I feel like a she wants to go to church on Sunday Sing in disbelief She wants to share magic with me See what we can see The arcane lines of her confession Make it hard 
come to the end of this phase of our life, we find ourselves trying to remember the good times and trying to forget the bad times. And we find ourselves thinking about the future. We start to worry, thinking, what am I going to do? Where am I going to be in 10 years? But I say to you, hey, look at me, please, don't worry so much. Because in the end, none of us have very long on this earth. Life is fleeting. And if you're ever distressed, cast your eyes to the summer sky. When the stars are strung across the velvety night. And when a shooting star streaks through the blackness, turning night into day. Make a wish. Think of me. And make your life
106.6 FM with Bill. It was the onions. Big bag of onions. It was the onions. Big bag of onions. It was the onions. Timing was impeccable, to the point where one might wonder if it had been stage-managed. Less than two weeks after Sweden's Royal Academy of Science announced that it was awarding this year's Nobel Physics Prize, the decisive contributions to the LIGO detector and the observation of gravitational waves, that detector has come up with its most interesting finding yet. LIGO is the Laser Interferometer Gravitational Wave Observatory. Actually, it is two observatories, 3,002 kilometers apart in the American states of Louisiana and Washington, a degree of separation ensuring that only disturbances registered by both are considered as coming from outer space. Its purpose, as its name suggests, is to detect gravitational waves. These are ripples in space propagated at the speed of light that are created by tumultuous astronomical events involving gargantuan bodies. Their existence was predicted just over a century ago by the mathematics of Albert Einstein's general theory of relativity, which is actually a theory of gravity. Summer 
It's kidnapping boys The block of our heart Tunes out the noise And soften the bedroom Her eyes into gold Anda sedang mendengarkan sebuah tas besar penuh dengan onions yang punya bill. I'm not really the kind of person that believes in luck or fate or anything like that, but what happened to me the other day might make me rethink my beliefs. I was waiting for my friend at the corner of 5th and Columbus when someone tapped me on the shoulder. I turned around and it was a woman that wanted to know directions. It turned out that she wanted to go exactly where my friend and I were headed, so I offered her a ride. My friend was running a little late, so she and I got to talking, and I found that she was a recruiter for fresh graduates at one of the largest international banks. I just graduated with a degree in economics and had desperately been looking for a good job. I told her my situation and she offered me a job on the spot. Pretty lucky. Pretty good. What is luck? It means good things happen to you just by a chance, right? You're the kind of person you don't really deserve it. You didn't do anything to get it. They just happen. Right, we call this kind of person a lucky person. Joker, he just...
What are you doing again? You're taking over a radio station? That's not allowed, surely. Einstein believed deeply that science should transcend national and ethnic divisions. But he watched physicists and chemists become the purveyors of weapons of mass destruction in the earliest 20th century. He once said that science in his generation had become like a razor blade in the hands of a three-year-old. And Einstein foresaw that as we grow more modern and technologically advanced, we need the virtues our traditions carry forward in time more, not less. He liked to talk about the spiritual geniuses of the ages. Uh, some of his favorites were Moses, Jesus, Buddha, St. Francis of Assisi, Gandhi. He adored his contemporary Gandhi. And Einstein said, and I think this is a quote, again, that has not been passed down in his legacy, that these kinds of people are geniuses in the art of living, more necessary to the dignity, security, and joy of humanity than the discoverers of objective knowledge. Now, invoking Einstein might not seem the best way to bring compassion down to earth and make it seem accessible to all the rest of us, but actually, it is.
that I would not sing about some passing fad And if my attempts at rhyming aren't convincing to your ear Then memories betrayed you through the passing of the And with a straight face, you're going to tell students that America is so star-spangled awesome that we're the only ones in the world who have freedom? Canada has freedom. Japan has freedom. The UK, France, Italy, Germany, Spain, Australia, Belgium has freedom. So 207 sovereign states in the world, like 180 of them have freedom. All right. And yet you, uh, sorority girl, just in case you accidentally wander into a voting booth one day, there's some things you should know. And one of them is... There is absolutely no evidence to support the statement that we're the greatest country in the world. We're seventh in literacy, 27th in math, 22nd in science, 49th in life expectancy, 178th in infant mortality, third in median household income, number four in labor force, and number four in exports. We lead the world in only three categories. Number of incarcerated citizens per capita, number of adults who believe angels are real, and defense spending, where we spend more than the next 26 countries combined, 25 of whom are allies. Now, none of this is the fault of a 20-year-old college student, but you nonetheless are, without a doubt, a member of the worst period, generation period ever, period. So when you ask what makes us the greatest country in the world, I don't know what you're talking about. Sure used to be. We stood up for what was right. We fought for moral reasons. We passed laws, struck down laws for moral reasons. We waged wars on poverty, not poor people. 
We sacrificed, we cared about our neighbors, we put our money where our mouths were, and we never beat our chest. We built great big things, made ungodly technological advances, explored the universe, cured diseases, and we cultivated the world's greatest artists and the world's greatest economy. We reached for the stars, acted like men. We aspired to intelligence. We didn't belittle it. It didn't make us feel inferior. Pungents. Big Psycho Pungents. Pungents. Big Psycho Pungents. Pungents. You're listening to my big bag of string of onions.
Liverpool's first ever FA Cup triumph was secured by a twisting header from Ian St John, who has always insisted it should be known as the Jerry Byrne Cup final. Aspiring youngsters should be shown video footage of his bravery to educate them not to go rolling around when they've hardly been touched. Ironically a boyhood Everton fan, he joined Liverpool as an amateur in 1953, turning professional two years later and making an unhappy senior debut at 19, conceding an own goal in a 5-1 defeat at Charlton. Shankly arrived from Huddersfield as manager with Liverpool trapped in the old second division and found Byrne on the transfer list. Shankly immediately removed him and Byrne soon became a first team regular. Byrne played in all 53 Liverpool games in 1965-66 when they reached the European Cup Winners' Cup final. Join me again soon for another journey through the pleasures of music, words and sound. Be seeing you. Bill's Big Bag of Onions has been produced and directed by Adrian Cohen and is a guppy production for Cone Radio. <laughs> Thank you very much.